0: Welcome to the Happy Highly Sensitive Life podcast, where we talk about building a life that lights you up as a highly sensitive person. In this show, you'll feel like you're sitting down with a friend who's here to help you unlock your energy, find the work you're designed to do, express your true self, and follow your heart. It's time to shift the conversation about sensitivity. In this space, your feelings are always valid. A joyful life and work you love are meant for you. And the possibilities are endless. If you're a highly sensitive person, then you know that socializing isn't always an easy breezy, low stress kind of thing, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Because you're a deep processor as an HSP, when you're in a group setting, There's a lot to tune into that can feel chaotic and overstimulating, especially if you're in a new environment around new people. You notice the subtle body language of the people you're talking to. You're tuned into noise volume and hear the emotional tone of conversations around you. All of your senses are on full alert. This makes you perceptive and dialed into the heartbeat of the space you're in. Your perceptiveness means you really see people, you get what drives people, and you have insights and perspectives that others might miss. You are a person of depth and substance. And your deep processing and depth also means you probably prefer to have deeper, more thoughtful conversation with one person rather than navigating small talk or group conversations with relative strangers who are jockeying for attention by telling the Funniest, loudest, most entertaining story. So often, because of my deep processing, I feel two beats behind a fast-paced conversation. If I try to match the quick pace of the conversation, I speak without having a chance to think about what I really want to say, and afterwards, I invariably kick myself for sticking my foot in my mouth. And I often think, how is it possible that I could seemingly be so careful about what I'm going to say? and still speak without thinking. Now, even extroverted HSPs who feel energized being around other people can get overstimulated by socializing. You'll be enjoying yourself one minute and then suddenly crash from the sensory overload. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, if you're with people you know well, And you love and you trust socializing is less taxing since you can relax more around them but moving into a new social situation like going to a holiday gathering or party or wedding it requires a survival plan going in even if you know the host well when they're tied up mingling with other guests it's not guaranteed that you'll get much quality time with them and then you'll just be stuck making small talk with all of their friends And hosting your own party or social gathering may also be unexpectedly overwhelming. I always hear people talk about how they love to have people over and to entertain, but that hasn't been my experience because my attention feels so divided it's overwhelming. I'm trying to serve food while answering questions people have about things like where's the bathroom or what's going on in my life, making sure everyone is content and happy and socializing. I feel pulled in so many different directions. When we moved into a home that was large enough to host gatherings, I dreamt of having a yearly Oktoberfest party. We did it the first year we moved in and invited our new neighbors and some family and friends, and I was surprised by how much work it was and that it really wasn't very fun to me. For me, it's more enjoyable to have a small, intimate gathering with people I know and can let my guard down around. Now, it's easy to compare how you socialize with how other people socialize and think that you need to do it their way. When I was in my 20s, I remember going to friends' weddings with hundreds of people and back then, I thought weddings needed to be large to show people how well-known and liked you are. I worried that I wouldn't know enough people to invite to my own wedding. And because I didn't have a ton of people in my phone contact list, I'd randomly worry that my funeral would be empty and few people would attend. It was kind of a weird thing to be worrying about, I have to admit. I thought that the value of my life would be judged by whether or not I had a large enough social circle. Looking back, I know that social needs change with our stage of life. When I was single and living alone, I needed to socialize more. Meditation groups or girls night out on a weeknight and Saturday night dinners with friends filled a need for connection now that I'm married, my social needs are met mostly right at home. You pretty much have to pry me out of the house with a crowbar to get me to go out. And as I've gotten older, I no longer compare myself socially to other people. I recognize that as a highly sensitive person, I want to preserve my energy for the things and people that light me up and that get me. I am not at my best when my energy is spread thin with multiple obligations, and so when I do say yes, it needs to be to the invitations that are really aligned for me. Now, I aim to have the level of socialization that's right for me, and to have a balance where I'm not on the go so much that I'm exhausted, and I'm not bored from sitting at home too much. I've also accepted that I thrive in smaller groups of people I know well. When Adam and I got married, we deliberately had a small wedding of just 25 people, and it was officiated by Adam's brother on my sister's front porch. I'll drop a picture for you in the show notes so you can see. It was the perfect way to do it for us. It was just our very closest family and friends who were there, and we were able to go really non-traditional with our plans And after a simple meal catered by a local Italian restaurant, we finished the night with a foosball tournament in the basement. We could never have had this intimate, homey, casual, cozy feel if we had a giant wedding with a ton of people at a rented space. Now, today I have a rich inner life, and I feel most satisfied when I can focus on that, surrounded and connected to a small group of people I love very much. I find that it's actually stressful to me to have to field tons of invitations from acquaintances and people I don't know very well, or from extroverted friends who seemingly can socialize constantly and at the drop of a hat. Now, I selectively say yes to invitations. I delay giving an answer, and I give myself time to consider what I'm saying yes to and to consider what I'll be saying no to or have to give up if I need to put time and energy into this other extra activity that I say yes to. When you get an invitation as an HSP, always say, I need to check my calendar. That phrase was made for you. So this gives you a chance to have some time to think about it. If you're ambivalent, the answer is probably no. When I was in college, I survived social situations by drinking, but several years ago, I pretty much stopped drinking, even at parties. I hated how it made me feel the next day, and a single drink turned me into a quiet ghost in the corner of the room, and that was the exact opposite of the effect I was going for. But without alcohol, I was anxious, and I felt like I was walking into a party naked. Unexpectedly. When I wasn't drinking and alcohol wasn't clouding my powers of observation anymore, I learned a few things about how to survive and even have fun at social gatherings. So today in this episode, I'm going to share what I learned that you can use to survive a party or a social gathering, whether you're drinking or not, whether you're walking into a relative room full of strangers, or you're going to be around people that you've known for years and years. So you will learn how to physically and mentally prepare to socialize, what to do if you regret saying yes to an invitation at the 11th hour, how often has this happened to me so much, (laughs) how to feel more confident and practice mindful socializing, and what you can do to stop beating yourself up for something you said or did while you were out. I want you to have tips and strategies to enjoy the events that you decide to attend as you move into the holiday season, and also to give yourself permission to do only what feels aligned and lights you up. So let's get started by talking about how to prepare physically and mentally to socialize. If you listened to episode three of this podcast, How to Cope with Intense Situations, you may have heard me say that I practice a two-phased self-care plan. Phase one is resting up before an event, so I have solid energy going in. And phase two is recovering intentionally after the event is over. When I have a party or a group dinner on my calendar, I try not to commit to anything else on the day of the event. I deliberately make it a low-key day. The day of, I stay home and do things that restore my energy. I take a long walk. I read a good book. I watch TV. I exercise. You know, exercising is really good for lowering social anxiety, and it also increases courage and optimism. Before my event, I also set an intention for the party that describes how I want to feel while I'm there and I choose a word or mantra that reminds me of that feeling. Here's why I do this. Our brain has an automatic filtering system that sees what it wants to see. It sees what it deems to be important. Now, according to Caroline Webb and her book, How to Have a Good Day, we see anything that we're one, consciously prioritizing, two, worried about, and three, that reflects how we're feeling. I'll go ahead and link her book in the show notes for you. It's a really good one. Now, Caroline says, Trafton Drew's psychology study with his colleagues at Harvard's Visual Attention Lab provides evidence of this. Researchers put a picture of a gorilla and a lung scan to see if radiologists would notice it. of them didn't. If we're not looking for something, we just don't see it. We don't notice it. Our perception of our environment is so heavily skewed by our automatic thoughts and assumptions about what we're going to see and experience. So web gives us three questions to use to set intentions so we'll have a different experience going into a new situation. They're the three A's, aim, attitude, and attention. So first, identify your aim. Identify your aim. What's your goal or intention? What will make this event successful in your mind? Number two, what's your attitude going to be? How do you want to feel in this situation? Number three, where do you want to focus your attention? What do you want to see more of and then be on the lookout for? For my office holiday party two years ago, I set the intention to feel more playful. Playful is light, silly and goofy and creative. It's definitely the opposite of stressed. With playful as my mantra, I volunteered to help organize the party. And then the morning of the party, I set my intentions using the three A's. My aim, I wanted to prioritize connecting with my coworkers and having fun. My normal default is to prioritize having everything perfect which stresses me out and makes me impatient and less present. My attitude, I wanted to hold the intention to have more fun. My attention, I wanted to notice people having a good time rather than obsess over what wasn't perfect. With this intention, I was better able to notice how I was starting to stress about all the little details. Things like, how would I wedge a vase of flowers in my car so it wouldn't spill while I drove? Would the caterer show up on time? Would my coworkers enjoy themselves? Now, normally, I'd wedge the vase of flowers into my car so it stays upright in the car, trying to hold on to it as I drive. It's a recipe for disaster. I'd race around multitasking and worrying about whether the party would be good enough. But since my aim was to have fun, I decided I needed to let all that go, including the flowers, which I ended up ditching at home and just leaving behind. My intention to feel playful led me to make different decisions so I'd be more relaxed. I started setting up earlier so I wasn't rushed. I had a coworker help me, which lowered my stress level and made it more fun. I called the caterer to confirm again, and then I let it go, and I could feel my lightness. My good mood was not affected by external circumstances or other people, and this was liberating. Webb's intention setting helped me find a new level of positive emotion and playfulness. Okay, now, once you've chosen your mantra and set your intention for the event, think of easy conversation starters you can use to strike up conversations with your host and the people you'll meet. This makes it easier to think of something to say. Think about what you know about your host, their partner, their kids, their hobbies, their interests, their work. Come up with three conversation, starters or go-to conversation topics. In a pinch, you can default to complimenting their home and to asking how long they've lived there. This is an easy launching pad for tons of other follow-up questions like, where did you grow up and how did you and your partner meet? Okay, so now that you're mentally prepared, eat something before you go out the door. Hangry is a bad way to go into any new situation. If I have low blood sugar, noise makes me jumpy and patient and quiet, and everything feels like a bigger effort. Now, as the party gets closer, I start feeling nervous, and I often feel last-minute regret for saying yes. I want to bail out by faking a headache. When these feelings start to creep up, I start rationalizing, oh, no one will mind if I don't show up. Okay, so if you do this too, this is the time to remember why you said yes. You do care about your friend or the cause, or you want to expand your social circle and meet new people. Give yourself permission to go and stay for only 30 minutes. You can do anything for 30 minutes. And once you get there, you may find you want to stay longer. The hardest part of a party is getting through the front door, right? So once you get through that, you may find you naturally just want to stay for longer. So to help yourself get in the right mindset to get through the front door, here's something that you can do, and that's to reframe your nerves as excitement. There's research that shows that reframing nerves as excitement changes how you show up. If you think about it, the physical sensation of anxiety is pretty similar to that of excitement. For me, I get butterflies in my stomach from both. And the research is clear. If you view your anxiety as similar to excitement and a source of energy, focus, and alertness that will help you excel, you will feel more confident and handle the pressure better. So anxiety brings a wariness and a desire to withdraw, whereas excitement brings anticipation. So telling yourself, I am excited, helps you handle the moment better than telling yourself, I am calm. And it works even more if you have an anxiety disorder. People with anxiety disorders think their hearts are racing out of control and their adrenaline levels are off the charts as compared to less anxious people. But research shows their physiological responses are just the same. Everyone has the same level of spike to their heart rate and to their adrenaline levels. But people with anxiety disorders interpret their physiological reactions as being more significant. So if you think you've got a ton of anxiety, you're even more likely to be helped by changing your mindset. Telling myself I am excited as I walk into a gathering changes my confidence level as I greet people. I'm open and energetic and offer a big warm greeting rather than sneaking in quietly and then hanging back. Okay, now you've got your mantra, you've set your intention, and you're telling yourself, I am excited. If you're showing up to a party alone, Arrive on time. An emptier room is easier to go into than a packed one. You'll have more one-on-one time with your host and they'll introduce you to people as they come in. You can also offer to help with setting up, which will keep you busy. When you get there, give a strong hello to the host when you arrive. Remember your mantra. Remember, I am excited. And go right over to the hostess or host and greet them when you first walk in. I've spent too many parties feeling like a party crasher because I didn't do this. It relieves you from sitting in the wings waiting for the right timing to cut in, and it sets the tone for being included since they'll introduce you to other people. Once you're there, try to take a seat. Sitting is more grounding, and it promotes a deeper conversation, and you only need to talk to the people on either side of you, which is less overwhelming. I always think that conversations held by a group of people who are standing up seem to be faster paced with louder, more boisterous storytelling, which has never been my forte. Since I always seem to think of what I want to say once the conversation switches topics entirely. When you're at the get together, also practice mindful socializing. Inject some mindfulness into the moment. Stay anchored by noticing how you're breathing. If you're holding your breath, as I am apt to do, your body thinks it's having an emergency and it's hard to think clearly. Periodically check in with your breathing to make sure you are still actually breathing. And if your heart is pounding, relaxation breathing is one of the best things you can do because your heart rate calms as you deepen your breathing. So there are two parts of the breath, the inhale and the exhale the inhale speeds up your heart rate and the exhale slows it down. You wanna focus more on deepening the exhale rather than inhaling. The exhale calms your heart and a fast deep breath in may leave you hyperventilating. So instead, exhale through your nose, lengthen your out breath, using your diaphragm to force the air down to the spot below your belly button. Can you breathe out for a 10 count and in for a five count? That's 15 seconds per breath. Slow your breathing down to four to six breaths per minute. On your first few breaths, because you're probably holding your breath, you're probably not going to be breathing that deeply. That's okay. As you keep going with it, you will deepen your breath and begin to feel calmer. Okay, another thing to do is to scan your body for tension. I often find that in party situations, my shoulders are pinned up next to my ears. So I work on releasing my shoulders. And then give yourself support. If you're sitting, place your attention on the feeling of the seat supporting your body. If you're standing, feel the bottom of your feet touching your shoes and supporting you to stand. This helps you to feel grounded and to stay present in the moment. Give yourself breaks too. Go to the bathroom and just soak up the silence. Shut your eyes, breathe. Give yourself strategic breaks when you need it. During the party, if you don't have anyone to talk to, make it your mission to help other introverts relax. You may be certain you're the most uncomfortable person at the party, but chances are you're not. Look around for people who are hanging back and strike up a conversation with them. You'll find someone else who wants to have a deeper conversation most likely, and the party will improve for both of you. When it comes to initiating conversation, remember those conversation topics you prepared in advance and ask questions. My spouse, Adam, His default at a party is to smile, ask questions, and listen. He asks a ton of questions. That's how he gets through a party. And smiling and listening just makes you likable. Everyone loves to be heard. And most of the people in the world are extroverts who love to talk. So if you're good at listening, you're a perfect match. Now, one of the joys of not drinking, if you decide not to drink, is that when other people are buzzing, I have noticed, I have permission to loosen up too. When they're drinking, I know they're not focused on me and what I'm saying and doing. The more they drink, the more entertaining it is for me. It's my chance to be mischievous, to poke fun and be playful, and it helps to keep me from getting bored, which is something that can happen for me at parties. Now, when it comes time to leave, try not to ghost out. I've been known to evaporate out the back door without saying goodbye because I was too wiped out to say goodbye. And then I always felt bad about it later. So now I decide to leave a party or a gathering when I'm on a high note and still have the energy to say goodbye and to say thank you. So find the host, say a quick goodbye, do that before you're too tired to. Once you're out the door, appreciate yourself for what you've done. Go home, crash, rest, and relax. And if you're beating yourself up for something you said and you're reviewing conversations in your head repeatedly, instead of trying to distract yourself from those thoughts, remember that the emotions you resist persist. Rather than pushing away your thoughts and feelings, move into them. Why would you do this? Well, when you push them away, your brain assigns a guard of sorts to keep a watch out for them. As Dr. Kelly McGonigal says in her book, The Willpower Instinct, as the guard searches for forbidden content, it continually brings to mind what it's searching for. So once you become tired or stressed, your vigilance lets up and the thoughts keep resurfacing. When that happens, your mind decides those thoughts are really dangerous and then you worry even more. So how do you relax your mind? Well, if you haven't listened to episode three and four of this podcast, go back and take a listen. I share many strategies for helping you cope with your emotions and relax your mind. I'll link those episodes in the show notes so you can grab them and listen to them easily. My favorite strategy after a party is to write about what I'm thinking and feeling. I journal about the moments I'm beating myself up over. Even just a few minutes of writing helps. If you wanna try journaling, answer these three questions. Okay, so the first is, what's the situation you keep replaying in your mind? The second is, what's the feeling you have about that moment? And the third is, what's the belief or judgment you're holding about yourself in that moment? So here's an example. Number one, what's the situation that you're replaying in your mind? Write about the moments you keep thinking about. If you keep remembering something you said, just write down that conversation. So for me, I often replay conversations in my mind thinking, man, did I really just say that? Ah. So for example, if I'm journaling, one day I wrote down that my friend was lamenting the fact that her daughter wasn't choosing to come home from college for the holiday. And I said it was normal for kids to want to do their own thing and spread their wings. That was just a normal part of that developmental stage. Number two what's the feeling you have about that moment? Name the feeling. So I wrote down, I'm worried I was insensitive and dismissive of her feelings. So what's the belief or judgment you're holding about yourself in that moment? I believe I've been insensitive and that I've belittled her feelings. That's the belief that I'm holding about myself. Oftentimes, just naming the situation makes a difference. You could try to reframe the belief you're holding about that moment. In this situation, instead of thinking that I was being insensitive and belittled her feelings, I could reframe the situation and think I was trying to normalize that her daughter wasn't coming home, helping her to see a different perspective on it. Okay, so journaling allows you to experience your feelings constructively, so they will pass rather than continuing to haunt you. The mind learns these thoughts are harmless, so it releases them. And with a new sense of mental calm, you'll be able to sleep better the night after the party. Remember, no one is keeping score on your party performance but you. Give yourself permission to do it your way. Rest up and prepare get your mantra and talk yourself through your 11th hour jitters show up and stay grounded and breathe and try to release yourself from the need to compare yourself to the loud storytelling jokester in the center of the room there's space for all kinds of runners at this race there you have it friends another episode this is the final episode of season one for the year I'll be back with season two and a brand new episode on January 6th. If you have a question for me about something you've heard on this podcast or want to suggest a topic for a future episode, email me at questions at life.com. If you'd like to receive regular news from me, sign up for my email newsletter by following the link in the show notes. You can also connect with me on Pinterest at Happy Highly Sensitive Life. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please subscribe, leave a positive comment, and rate and review it. This helps other HSPs find the show. Bye now.